This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Liz Earle Beauty Co. Hi, I'm Hannah, one of the co-founders at Go Jauntly, a walking and nature connection app. Welcome to season two of our podcast, Nature Bounce. This is our chance to banter with a series of inspirational people to talk about green living, walking and well-being. Today I'll be chatting with Lucy Jones, writer, journalist and author of new book, Losing Eden, Why Our Minds Need the World. It launched just before lockdown and I've just finished reading it. I've made so many notes in the book, which I haven't done since I was studying, and I'm planning to get the whole Go Jauntly team to read it. In a nutshell, eight years ago, Lucy started researching how contact with nature affects the human mind. The result is a really compelling read. It's a combination of her personal experience with the subtext of the climate emergency and meticulously researched studies and peer-reviewed science that supports how nature offers us well-being. Lucy, thank you so much for being our guest today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. I feel so honoured. I've been reading your book and writing so many notes and I've even got like these like, you know, sticky things that you used to do at university and stuff that have like bookmarked loads of bits. Oh, that's so good to hear. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of research. Oh Um, my God, there's so much. Like, can you tell us a little bit about how, about your book and how it came about? Yeah, sure. So, um, as you mentioned, around kind of eight, nine-ish years ago, I was going through, um, a period of mental ill health. I was very disconnected from the natural world at that time, living mm. a really urban life in London, um, m- more likely to be in pubs and clubs than outside. Um, <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that it's pretty normal, isn't it? Um, I think so, especially if you run away to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I found myself, um, I had depression and I was in I was going into recovery um, for addiction issues and I found myself drawn to walking um, in Walthamstow Marshes, which is a really amazing kind of oasis in um, North East London where I lived. Um, And the kind of urgency uh, that I found myself drawn to that space every day if I could go there um, just felt really kind of important and unusual and interesting to me it was uh, as powerfully therapeutic as the antidepressants I was taking and the, the psychotherapy I was having and the support groups I was attending it kind of it felt like a really important way of um, of kind of getting better and recovering um, and kind of soothing soothing my mind so really quickly um, I'm one of those annoying people who always asks why 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 yeah. um, I wanted I wanted to find out what was happening to my my mind and, and my body my brain I guess you know so many of us intuit that being in in nature or out, outdoors can make us feel maybe in some way good or relaxed mm. but what I was interested in doing which eventually became Losing Eden was drilling down into the nuts and bolts of that relationship and trying to investigate the the mechanism by which connecting and engaging with the rest of nature can affect our mental health. Um, I wanted to look at that relationship with, you know, so many different prisms from neuroscience to kind of the science of hormones, Mm. um, the science of awe to even kind of moving away from science, the more 
kind of esoteric uh spiritual ideas that um, yeah. we explore with people like Jung and the the chief druid so I just wanted to to kind of get under the hood of this of this relationship and find out uh why spending time in nature makes us feel good um but quickly the question flipped um as I reconnected with nature, I became aware of our disconnection from the natural world and how much we're losing um, in the decline of species and habitat and so on. And I guess I fell into a kind of state of ecological grief. So at that point, the question then became, um, is our modern day estrangement from the rest of nature in some way causing harm to our mental health. So that kind of sent me down a different set of avenues looking at, um, you know, e ecological grief and, and so on, the kind of the impact of our, of our kind of dis yeah, estrangement from nature. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And it really echoes like a lot of the kind of thoughts and kind of understanding that kind of led us into creating the go jauntly app it was kind of being chained to our desks all day like really stressed out like living in the city and just wanting to kind of connect with the natural world and be outside instead of just indoors all the time and a lot of the research that you quote in the book such as like prisoners getting more time outdoors compared to children it just was so shocking when i read that um, it kind of made me think, you know, I've got a, a two-year-old kid, I think, at the time, and I don't want him to grow up disconnected to nature because I grew up disconnected to nature. But how do I help him? How do I make him not scared of mud and want to climb trees and things like that? I think um, just going back to what you were saying, what is it about disconnection with nature that makes us feel sick or sad? Um... I think in a way it it is quite an unconscious thing I suppose mm. um one of the things I was really aware of when writing this book was that I looked around me and most people I knew most of my peer group wouldn't necessarily go to nature for their restoration yeah. um you know, would go to other things um there are so many avenues of restoration in our society um, so, I, you know, I was quite aware that this is a complex subject, but I think probably one of the most important and interesting pieces of research I, I found and wrote about was this idea of background nature. Mm. Um, you know, that even if you aren't someone who necessarily um, kind of considers themselves a self a tree hugger, uh, walking through a park with trees <laughs> is going to have a measurable impact on yeah. uh, what's happening to your brain, um, studies suggest. But saying that, obviously, there's you know, there's strong evidence now that connecting with nature and feeling engaged with nature, um, you know, the nature connection uh, science done by Miles Richardson does suggest that this connection does reap the more kind of enhanced mental health benefits. Um, so I think in a way it's a kind of, for, for people who are disconnected uh, and let me talk about my experience, I was living very urban life in London, rarely going outdoors. Mm. Um, and that meant that I was missing out on the, the benefits of being in a natural space from stress recovery. 
So we know now that we recover quickly and more completely from stress yeah. in a natural space compared to the built environment. We know that being in nature can balance our nervous systems. So when I was kind of living that very um, urban and disconnected life in, in London, um, I definitely felt that my sympathetic nervous system, my flight or fight, fight um, system was as activated a lot of the time I was kind of in a often in a state of anxiety and tension stress um you know always kind of checking my phone replying to emails just never really um found anywhere to to chill or to relax and and in fact um um you know I, I found that in uh alcohol um but but nature became that kind of place for me and I think well I know that the evidence suggests that it, it does that for other people it it was a way of kind of turning off the calming down the sympathetic nervous system and, and activating the parasympathetic nervous system you know the rest and digest processes mm. the giving the body a chance to recover and repair um feeling kind of calm and relaxed and in a focused state um you know obviously we are able to get those things not in nature as well but nature the evidence suggests that you know it is in nature that we can benefit in that way mm. so i guess to answer your question um i think the disconnection from nature is it's almost like an unseen sickness in our society like we don't yeah. really consider um like our wider environment or our relationship with the rest of nature as something kind of central to good mental health or even an you know it's not even an element in psychology yet or or in fact it is becoming more so um but uh you know clearly from the the multiple studies of done by scientists across the world and different disciplines in this this area of nature and health it's really really important and i guess just one other thing i'd add to that um I, when I started researching this area, I started to, to read a bit about this idea that, um, that we might be kind of an unconsciously harmed by our uh, lifestyles and the way we harm the environment. Yeah. Something that Wendell Berry calls unconscious planetary suicide, that we're kind of all complicit in kind of the destruction of nature really by mm. the systems that we live in. Um, and there are certain academics who who suggest and argue that 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 even if we don't know it it harms us psychically and at the beginning I probably thought that was a little bit off the wall and kooky but as you know as the as the years went on I I do feel like that has some truth in it that um, you know living in these systems and 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 which are you know part of the destruction of the earth must in some ways be affecting our our minds and our spirits it definitely resonates um in many many ways and i think in your book you reference that we were taught from a young age that we're separate from land and earth and i guess that's kind of linked to like why the disconnect potentially has grown since we've moved indoors instead of spending out out time outdoors do you think do you think this is changing now Um, I'm not really seeing any sign of that. I mean, I think that's the kind of paradigm that we live in, in the industrial West, that, Mm. um, you know, we are separate from nature. um, 
and the earth and you know that's something that's out there and we're in here and you know man is the top of the hierarchy um you know and centuries of thinking uh supports that One new walk I've been checking out is the Rye Harbor Reserve Route in East Sussex, created by one of our amazing content ambassadors, Claude. It's a two-mile circular walk starting in Rye Harbor and continuing through the reserve, which is managed by the Sussex Wildlife Trust. The shingle and salt marshes are a great place to spot many species of coastal birds. There are even some hides along the way you can use to birdwatch from. I went to Rye last year and I explored the town, but I definitely missed the chance to check out this beautiful piece of coastline. So I've added it to the list for my next visit. You can find the route in app if you search Rye Harbor Reserve or find the link on our website. My quick app tip for the listeners today is saving walks. If you are browsing through our collections of curated walks and you spot one that catches your fancy, you can tap the star icon on that walk in order to save it and find it easily later on. You can find the list of all your saved routes in the My Walk section of the app. I mean, I guess like my personal um, experience of my mind and, you know, mental health is, is that like a, like, good mental health and, and mental well-being for me is is probably like the absence of um of certain thought patterns and and rumination mm, and brooding yeah. and um intrusive thoughts and and paranoia and kind of and unhelpful thought patterns not being able to kind of control where my mind goes um but also um, equilibrium is kind of a word that um, comes to mind uh, like for me good mental health is kind of like feeling like there's an equilibrium in in my life like my kind of body and mind feel kind of calm and focused um, not focused more more kind of relaxed um, and there isn't something kind of you know like I often I've in my life I've often got kind of physical mental health problems like stress related conditions things like that so I've had that as well never do a walking app startup that's all I can say. Oh. It's, that, it's that like, are you, um, I remember like when I got, basically I got really burnt out um, a year or so ago and I'm now completely just focused on going jolly, not trying to do too many things, which I was then. And I started to get like these really weird, like constant like pins and needles and muscle spasms, like to the point where I ended up having like MRIs and things like that. But actually it was probably stress. Yeah, it's mad how your body just goes no stop yeah and I think also our like our healthcare systems still separate the mind and body yeah way too much like that Descartes idea like dualistic idea when I think they're so much more um they're so much more combined and, and connected than we think they are um and that definitely comes out a lot in the nature and and health evidence mm. you know lots of the studies um kind of you know look at look at mental and physical health i think like 
to answer your question in terms of kind of my the research for losing Eden, yeah, mental health and and mental well being. The words that often come up in the in the in the literature and the evidence are things like um, relaxation, calmness, um, relief from cognitive fatigue. Um, yeah. That's quite that's quite a common one. Um, um, you know, stress recovery. So different kind of um, biomarkers that suggest um, kind of lower stress levels, such as cortisol and so on. Mm. Um, brain, like the the neuroscience is pretty fledgling, but the um, there's some amazing studies about like the effect of smelling petrichor. You know, the smell of the earth after it's rained. Yeah. On the brain. Love that smell. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? And so. Yeah. Um, this study suggests that it activates areas of the brain associated with calmness and, and relaxation. So those in this kind of paradigm are the, the words that come up. I mean, the, you know, it, mental health is so complex, isn't it? And everyone's it is, yeah. people are so different. And the, I mean, what even is the mind? Does the mind even exist? Oh, um, oh don't go there. I'll start having an existential <laughs> crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, it's so interesting because I think when you mentioned rumination, I think that is something I'm so guilty of. And I guess like walking in nature or stopping and noticing urban nature, like street trees or weeds or wildflowers in the park and stuff like it kind of stops you from thinking about all of that other stuff that just constantly fills your mind. And I think and maybe that's why like I, I love like my sort of daily walks or my sanity walk so much is because it just like I basically stop thinking about all of that other stuff I, I totally agree I think that is yeah you just kind of tune out to everything if you're yeah. focusing in on you know I've been looking at scarlet pimpernels like across the road and I just try and focus in on like how many stamens does it have and how many petals does it have? And it just kind of, it's like meditation or mindfulness. And in yeah. fact, there was an interesting study by a guy called Gregory Bratman. You might know it on, um, he compared um, two different walks, one down like a tree lined street and one in an urban area uh, on brain activity and found that the, the nature type walk reduced the, um, the rumination and brooding mm. brain. Um, and then en enhances creativity as well, other research has shown, which, which I need right now. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also the, um, the idea of like soft fascination. Have you come across that? The no, what's that? That part of the Kaplan's attention restoration theory. Mm. So that's the idea that, you know, when you're just feeling like, oh, you've been at a screen for too long and mm. you can't take anything in, like your brain's just tired and worn out. Yeah. Um, and and if you go into the woods or something you just it just feels like you're having a your brain's having a drink yeah um, yeah so like shirin yoku forest bathing type yeah exactly yeah. it's all it's all connected and, mm. and one of the elements for the kaplan's theory is this idea of soft fascination which i really love and um it can be things like you know just watching um the leaves on a tree gently moving or a walk like river water um flowing yeah. you know when you can yeah. clouds moving in the sky and so nice you find it in like a trance and then your brain is recovering your brain is kind of re restoring mm. um so i think i think that is something that i uh i that comes up a lot in the you know the literature around this this area i think that's really i personally find that 
you know, if I've, if I've got like an important decision to make or I feel really like worn out in my brain, I'll just look outside and look at a tree for a bit and it, yeah. it helps. You've got such a lovely soft voice. When you were talking about the stream and the clouds, I started getting goose pimples. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I think I've got very monotone, boring voice. <laughs> no, you could totally do one of those calm sleep stories. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so um, I, I, I love that. I love that. That soft fascination. I'm going to do a bit more research about that. That sounds really interesting. Um, so when I was reading your book, it reminded me of a, a, a short story, sort of paperback by Yoko Tawada, um, The Last Children of Tokyo. Have you read that? No, but I really want to. Now. Oh my, well, you have to be in the right state of mind to read it, but it's, it, it's really good. Um, I started a book club. Uh, with like the like uh, local mums on the street uh, as a new year's resolution as I wanted to like um relieve my mind from the news and this was sort of pre-covid this was like climate emergency angst and all of that stuff like really getting to me um and we finished it about four weeks before lockdown and it felt so prescient it was insane like you have to read it just because it's 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 just it's it's very it reminds me of your prologue um uh, which was about uh, Zena's experience of nature um when I read your prologue it sent it sent shivers down my spine and I and it's like ironic that basically I wanted to try and escape the climate emergency news and I ended up reading this post-apocalyptic book wow. based in Tokyo and um yeah it just made me made me think a lot about what you called psychoterror and I ha hadn't actually heard of that phrase before and I think there were a few other phrases you mentioned mm. like a real ecological grief that I know some people especially those who are connected to nature and maybe subconsciously like you said earlier those who aren't but have a deep kind of connection with it inside without knowing and I just wondered like are you how are you coping with it are you okay because it's hard right now oh yeah thank you for asking and I, I'm so glad you mentioned that book it sounds really good I'm gonna I'm gonna get it um I I find it really goes up and down um the the what like there's been a couple of things that I found really helpful um antidote to my kind of eco grief and eco anxiety um one has been just getting involved in community stuff. So um, like a tree planting day. Oh yeah, that sounds good. It was just so nice. And then we have a patch of land, um, like a, it's just like a field. Well, it's a really small field behind the houses um, where we live. I'm in quite a, I'm in a town, it's quite urban um i live opposite a massive construction site we're build, building about 600 new homes and i do have an urban cemetery like a five minute walk which mm. is amazing yeah. um but there's not a huge amount of nature directly where i live but we have asked our councillor if we can basically restore this patch of lawn and rewild it um oh, lovely and also plant I'm trying to ask if we can plant trees down our road um, and it it's all taken a while obviously and, and because of COVID and so on but it has been really empowering and exciting to kind of work with neighbours and think about what we can do to kind of bring more nature in or allow nature to thrive um, 
and I realize I'm in like a privileged position I'm not renting so mm. I think it's really hard you know people and like the renting culture it's quite hard to feel like ownership or empowered to like um influence how the land is used so um, true. but um I, I feel like that that can be a really a really cool antidote to the kind of paralysis that you can yeah. feel about you know um how crazy it all is also um yeah getting involved a bit more in kind of local politics and my local environment group those kind of actions have helped um, I think for a few years I was just like paralyzed by like you know what's what's it going to be like in 40 years for my children I know I can't um, think about it yeah it's almost like acting instead of thinking yeah um and also like actually we've been we've got a little garden and we've just left it you know really left it to, to grow and we've got loads more insects this summer and that feels like something small um, so, so it sounds like kind of the concept of rewilding and kind of promoting biophilic cities on a community level potentially has kind of a multitude of benefits not only for your or our eco-anxiety but also to sort of promote a more naturally enriched environment to live in absolutely um i mean the biophilic city movement is very young very exciting i mean singapore is, is is a good example of they're kind of um aiming to be the greenest city in the world and with kind of green rooftops and vertical gardens and they've got a a, a, a hospital which is almost like a nature reserve which has gone from i think three species of butterfly to 83 species of i butterfly. read that yeah i kind of want to visit although i'm too scared to fly <laughs> yeah yeah it's all going to be very local for a while isn't yeah. it um it's, it's strange that it's sort of taken so long for for biophilic cities to sort of be fashionable again shall we say because it reminds me of some research we did around bermondsey have you heard of ada salter no oh so um she was around in like the early 1900s uh she was a social reformer environmentalist and a, basically a trailblazer who helped the poorest and most nature deprived communities first and so this is way back when so she believed that fresh air and contact with nature improved people not only physically but mentally and morally and she actually became a proponent of urban gardening and a pioneer of like organized campaigning against air pollution in london and bearing in mind this is like in the early 1900s in 1920 she actually launched her famous beautification committee which i love the sound of um in the night yes yeah, so that was in the 1930s she planted nine 9,000 trees in Bermondsey and she basically decorated all the buildings with window boxes and filled all the open spaces with the flowers and apparently around 60,000 plants so in a way like these aren't new ideas but just for some reason is it the patriarchy again sorry to bring that up again but is you know are these the reasons why that we're not using like old ideas now when they make complete sense and we're almost suffering from sort of similar issues yeah oh my god she's i'm obsessed with her now I, uh, yeah, yeah. so much to think about i'm gonna have to like 
look into her. She sounds amazing. He, no, um, she, she's really amazing. And that's just like half of her story. Like, it, like I feel ashamed that I didn't learn about her in school and that it took me like until I was like, you know, my late 30s because she sounds so inspiring. I'll just, I mean, I can't stop banging on about her. But um, she also was like the first female mayor of London. Like, <laughs> like she was amazing. But yeah, look her up, Ada Salter. Ada Salter. Salter. Yeah, look her up. She, you'll really love her. I mean, I guess one of the reasons why, you know, 100 years later, we're still talking about this yeah. and it happened is um, like partly what you say, you didn't learn about her at school. Mm. Um, you know, in our education system, and I'm not bashing teachers because I know they have a super stressful job, um, but like it's more of a kind of societal thing. We We just have this issue with kind of short-term thinking and kind of ecological illiteracy really where mm. we don't have we don't join up the thinking around um you know planetary health equals um human mental and physically physical health you know it's all connected we're not living in some kind of bubble yeah. uh, you know the climate breakdown is going to affect people uh and and also disconnection from nature deprivation is is affecting people um i so i think i think one a big part of it is the kind of short-termist thinking of of our political system yeah um and also our economic system that it's based on um growth yeah it's growth and that's just kind of absurd when you think about uh you know the planet that we live on and isn't an infinite infinitely resourced one um so yeah i think a lot can be laid at the feet of kind of ultra capitalist um industrial uh kind of society that we live in yeah um, no, naming no names <laughs> so, um yeah i think you're right and i think it's really important now um that we help you know reach more diverse audiences like you know through nature therapy which can potentially help with like nature connectedness and i know there's been so much around and you were writing about the deep-rooted sort of structural injustices and the structural racism that actually make people feel really unwelcome in these natural environments mm -hmm. um, and you talk about like the lack of direct access to the outdoors you mentioned that earlier and i love the stories of the the forest schools and there's a real lack of diverse representation. It feels like there's so much to do. Mm. It really does. I was, I've been following, um, have you heard of Sorrel Lyle? No, I'm writing that one down. Um, she's on Twitter and she recently um, made a call for, she's an ecology student, I think, and she did a, a film for the RSPB and she did a call out recently for kind of people to, to join together and work on diversity in nature. And one of the things that she called for, which just makes so much sense, is a fully resourced inquiry um, mm. of run by the top na nature organisations into, you know, like the obstacles and barriers, um, preventing people from feeling um, welcome and at home in the natural environments. And that's, that feels really crucial to me. Um, I think one of the most important pieces of research that I write about in Losing Eden um, is the research into equigenesis by Richard Mitchell. Um, it's quite a kind of convoluted word for this idea that um, certain spaces, green spaces, natural spaces, um, can actually narrow the uh, health gap between the rich and the poor. 
Mm. So he, he published a paper in the Lancet about 10 years ago um, where they looked at um, communities that were deprived, but that were more resilient than others. And, and it seemed that the, the determining factor was their access to nature. So we know that, um, you know, access to nature is, is really profoundly important in making our country more just and fair. And we know that um, minority, minority ethnic groups have less access to higher quality green spaces, um, you know, less, fewer gardens and so on. Um, and yeah, I feel like a, a resource inquiry is just, just urgently needs to happen. Um, and also, uh, kind of creative and mindful programming in, in public nature spaces, you know, mm. really thinking about um, how, you know, how to orient uh, different groups to, to green space. And then, of course, um, you know, uh, role models and mentors and mm. the conservation rangers from diverse backgrounds and so on, um, improving kind of accessibility as well public transport there's so many things which need to work on and yeah. and you know in light of this kind of huge raft of evidence um and losing eden is really just a synthesis of of this evidence yeah it feels like you know a public health emergency to be you know continuing to deprive certain sectors of our society you know on the basis of socioeconomic background or race from uh experiencing these like stress relieving restorative places um mm. just seems like a real stain on our society that we're not doing more to fix that going back to ada salter <laughs> i love her um i just think as you were talking i was thinking you know how she was kind of pioneering that kind of basically working with the local councils trying to turn the slum into a kind of greenified paradise. Like Rishi Sunak recently did, has, has done this sort of like meal voucher for restaurants. Could we like give everyone in the cities 50 pounds to go and spend at a garden center oh, to like greenify, to like greenify their neighborhood? I love that. That's <laughs> such a good idea. It's so simple, but it's the kind of thing that, you know, you, it, it would be quite easy to do, I think, I like she thinking. says. I like your thinking. I love that. I was thinking about um, trying to set up a kind of competition where, like, to, for, like, the most nature-friendly street. Like, yeah, trying to get people... Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, streets to kind of compete in, like, you know, leaving their verges unmown. Yeah. So could proliferate and so on. But, you know, obviously it, it, it is a little bit potentially unfair because... Um, you, you know, have to have money don't you yeah, yeah yeah um and you know green space is not fairly like even like you know verges or trees it's not fairly distributed in our country yeah. you know some some like some people don't live on streets with any any trees on them or mm. any way of growing so but I know I love that idea that's yeah, really cool Hannah you <laughs> should write to Rishi Sunak and suggest that <laughs> I should do and maybe we could team up and we could find someone else and we could run a competition or something next year and do it in a way that's accessible so for example like um during like lockdown homeschooling um one of the one of the um really good sort of like powerpoint lessons the teachers gave us is that actually you don't need to go and like buy seeds necessarily to 
to kind of plant a tomato plant. You could just take an old tomato, like dry the seeds and then use those seeds and put them in, um, in a pot of mud that you could either find in the, I don't know if they said the park, I've just added that, or the garden, and, and kind of start from a really, really like basic level. And it, it or to be able to like send free seeds out to everyone in a little pot. I don't know. There's something or there. even like teach. I've been trying to teach yeah. my three-year-old how to collect um, seeds from like the wildflowers. Yes, that's such a good idea. Because like, you know, if you don't know how to like take a poppy seed, you know poppy head off and take the top off and then mm. you know you squeeze it into your hand um you know lots of people i don't aren't don't get the opportunity yeah. to kind of learn how to do that and so like collecting collecting seeds and maybe doing some gorilla gardening yeah um yeah i think making making kind of nature connection accessible and you know accessible for all yeah it's it's just crucial I think it would help with like like um, isolation potentially if you're like working and greenifying your like um, front garden, like connecting with neighbours, doing like a little local competition with neighbours to grow sunflowers or um, there's just there's something about having pride and respect in your community through potentially this idea that we'll have to take offline because we're completely running out of time. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I just wanted to ask one last question if that's okay and I, and I, and I guess I have to confess I'm, I'm interested from being like a tech startup owner and also a lover of nature and um, do you believe there is a place for techno nature at all I do definitely and do uh, you I didn't know what you were gonna say oh yeah okay. and I must say I really enjoyed I've really enjoyed um using the go jointly app over over lockdown and um the kind of notifications um I think it's a really beautiful app and really like important thing to connect people um but i think you. that you know these i also really like the picture this app so yes. i've been using that a lot in the last few months and um it has massively educated me i don't i'm like pretty plant blind and tree blind i'm just learning i'm like a real amateur naturalist just learning stuff um i think so, it's cool to be that because i'm totally that as well <laughs> Yeah, I think we're in good company. Yeah. Most of us are like that. But picture this is definitely like um, a hot tip. Help me learn the names of of what I'm looking at. Uh, mm. I think I'm looking at you know, you know, as you guys will know, there are um, some great apps which are really helping people connect. Um, I guess like I, I do write about techno nature in the book and. Um, in terms of kind of that in the home, you know, there is evidence that watching nature films and listening to nature sounds does have uh, measurable impacts on kind of improving mood and, and reducing stress. Um, so, so that's quite interesting. But, but of course, I mean, I guess the 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 one thing that really blew me away on this research journey was like the 360 um, kind of impact of being in a natural space, a high quality, like biodiversity. Yeah. There is so many, there's like a myriad of pathways by which the, the environment could be enhancing your mental health. And obviously you don't get that if you're like inside watching a, a nature documentary. Um, but yeah, I... 
you know te- i'm i'm someone who's like on my phone way too much and like looking at my screen way too much and i do find sometimes if i leave my phone at home i connect more but um uh i think you've answered that yeah. <laughs> i think you have i think i think i think it's important to note isn't it that it's not a it's not a replacement unless you can't access nature i guess um it is like uh, maybe a method to help to aid nature connectedness um so things like learning about um the names of flora and fauna um or perhaps like uh, nature notes does on go jointly like prompting you to remember the good thing that you saw in nature and i think it's important for me anyway that we don't get to a place where you're the only way that you can connect with nature the rest of nature is through a vr headset <laughs> we definitely don't want that yeah i tried one out for my uh, losing eden research for about 10 minutes and i just ended up with like a headache did you vomit afterwards <laughs> no, i got a kind of like painful mark on the oh. side of my head oh, no. uh, i mean it was kind of cool for the first couple minutes but um, yeah yeah it's just not it's just not the same is it no. but then i guess like you know like back in the day the technology was like pen and paper and yeah um you know writing and stuff like you know technology isn't the problem i think it it kind of speaks a bit to kind of what we've been talking about it it, it can be like a distraction or you know most of us are on our phones like five hours a day or something and most of us watch like netflix all evening and that's fine and and you know we get something out of it but it's very distracting and like i find i have to like really control my technology use um or it just i just mindlessly engage in it instead of like going for a walk and engaging with the rest of nature sometimes i have it has to be like an active um totally myself off my yeah totally we call it we call it netflix and jaunt and and then that makes us feel a bit better (laughs) that's cool thank you so much um for being a guest on the show it's been so lovely to kind of find out more about your background and all of the amazing work that you've done and i i would hope i hope we can keep in touch and um chat more because i'm sure there's a few ideas kicking around there i would really like that and it's such a pleasure to be on the podcast i love the podcast so thank you thanks so much Chatting to Lucy today has been really life-affirming. There are so many great people out there working to spread the word about the benefits of nature connectedness and promoting the science behind it, and Lucy is definitely one of them. Some people are lucky enough to feel that nature connection is intrinsically rewarding, yet access to green space is not equitable for everyone. We all need to do more to promote biophilic cities, campaign for parks, and greenify what we can inside and outside of our homes. In the next episode, we'll be talking to Zara Mahmood, who is also known by her Instagram handle, The Hill Walking Hijabi. Every weekend, when the Scottish weather plays nice, you'll find her walking the hills and mountains of the West Coast. I can't wait to find out more. This podcast was brought to you in partnership with Liz Earle Beauty Co.